2: Welcome to the Art of Decluttering podcast. I'm Amy Ravel
0: And I'm Kirsty Frugia. And we have two amazing guests with us today.
2: So we have Wendy Hayes and Angela Enoff who have come in from Hoarding Home Solutions. Welcome, ladies.
3: Thank you for having us.
2: You girls have so much breadth of experience that we just do not have any experience in. So we're very excited to learn from you. You can teach our listeners so many things. And we've got a couple of questions we're going to go through, but share some stories, give us your insights because we've never, ever discussed hoarding on the podcast Mm. so far in 115 episodes because we felt ill-equipped.
3: Well, good on you for knowing your
4: boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's such an important topic, so we're really excited to get to share
0: yeah we this is an area of the professional organizing industry that we choose not to engage in because we know that there's so many more experienced people um, who have got the qualifications to do so. So we choose not to. So
2: and we choose not to because it we can't serve those clients in the way that they need not because we're like oh we don't like too much stuff it's like (laughs) well if you needed a specialist you get a specialist
4: yeah Yeah. and that's part of why we train people is because the demand for the hoarding services far outstrips the supply and we want to teach people the skills so that they're equipped to go in and deal with people in a um, effective way and a compassionate way as well so,
2: Angela, I'm going to yes. hit you with our first question. Okay. What is hoarding disorder? And is that <laughs> even the right term?
4: Because
3: tell us, tell us, tell us. <laughs> what? Yeah, hoarding disorder is now a... Um, a recognised discrete um, disorder in the DSM five, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual <laughs> number five. So researchers, um, all kinds of really uh, clever people, have done lots and lots of study on it, and now um, have have. Added it to the latest um, manual that that practitioners can use to diagnose hoarding disorder. Now, there's also people who have hoarding tendencies. You know, there's like with any kind of disorder, there's there's nuances. Um, Wendy, do you want to explain exactly? Yeah, what the,
4: yeah. So there's... the 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 criteria is basically, and if, you know, it it can be quite complex if you're. Um, you're going to diagnose somebody. But basically the criteria has three components. And the first one is that you're acquiring um, way beyond your needs and and it can be quite random acquiring as well. So there's this real compulsion around acquiring. Um, The second is that there's a really strong – anxiety around discarding, even um, the most, you know, even things that other people would consider rubbish. You just can't let go of. And the third component is the environmental component, the impact it has on your home. So the home's becoming really, really cluttered to the point where maybe you're not sleeping in your bed. um, Maybe you can't use your bathroom anymore. Uh, Fridges, I often see fridges are the first thing to go because there's clutter behind the fridge. They're overfilled. So the motor breaks down and um, there's not space to get the fridge out, or you're too embarrassed to get a repair person in, so people are living without working fridges and that sort of thing. So we've got those three, the acquiring, discarding, and then the the cluttered environment. You need all three of those things to have a, a hoarding diagnosis. But the thing about hoarding is it it is um, treatable, um, and it's a behavioral disorder. So it's not a lost cause, you know, and it's not because you grew up in the depression or something like that. It is a treatable, diagnosable mental health disorder.
2: Who diagnoses hoarding disorder?
4: A mental health professional. So, so a psych or a yeah. psychiatrist? Yeah. So not, yeah. A, not a GP? Not a GP mm-hmm. and not a daughter and not a husband and not a niece <laughs> and not even a professional organiser, <laughs> a medical professional. <laughs> Yeah.
0: And how do you feel when the word hoarder gets thrown around incorrectly?
3: It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because language evolves over time and um, uh, you, you might hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm such a hoarder. And they may be, or they might not be. Um, of course, you know, unless they've been diagnosed, they don't get to say that, but it is part of the vernacular now. And if in conversation, we would say people who hoard. You know, we work with people who hoard because it's the hoarding behaviour that, that you know, that they're up to. Um, but if in conversation somebody says, oh, you know, so-and-so's a hoarder, I'm not going to be um, really pedantic about it. I'm going to model good language around it and I'm going to uh, op- use that as an opportunity for a conversation. I don't want to shut down any open dialogue about it. I want to be like curious and respectful and if someone says, oh, I'm such a hoarder, I'm going to ask some questions like, well, first, have you been diagnosed? You know, what's going on at your place is a really good open-ended question to find out what is actually happening. And, you know, oh, I have so many shoes. Well, yeah, okay. (laughs) So we can talk about that's not hoarding etc but i'm not going to shut them down and say, oh you're not allowed to say that you must use the proper term you know that's just
2: i really like you that. know. that's very gracious well but also you know. educational like you're modeling
4: yeah, I think that's
2: a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. And
4: I think also people give us cues if we see someone that we know is hoarding or maybe they've even been diagnosed but they want to talk about my stuff, my treasures, um, I'm a collector, I'm a, a finder keeper, whatever they want language they want to use. It's not for us to say, well, you've been diagnosed as a, a person who hoards so therefore, you know, let's be real. We, you know, that doesn't really get us anywhere (laughs) so we really take the cues from people themselves as well to how they want to describe what they're feeling about what they're dealing with yeah yeah well
3: and that reminds me too we don't tell people how to feel and what they should do so I'm not going to tell them what they're allowed to say either (laughs) I'm going to you know as I said model some um better ways of saying it but if they don't latch onto that that's their business yeah
2: Can I ask, what does hoarding disorder look like for those who are part of our community who can only picture what maybe they've seen on a show or that kind of thing? I imagine that there's quite a spectrum.
4: Yeah, look, there really is. and the shows really focus on that squalid end of the spectrum because that's where you get the shock and awe and they're like, oh, look at that person. How can they live like that? And that's what makes good television. Um, But in reality, you'll get people um, who are hoarding who are quite perfectionist hoarders and so their hoard will be very neat. But um, even though it's very neat, it's still causing them problems in terms of um, maybe they're isolating themselves, maybe their home is a fire hazard just because of the sheer volume of stuff that's in there, um, or maybe their acquiring is causing problems in their relationships or financial issues and that sort of thing. So it may be quite a neat and tidy, clean hoard, as um, I've heard people say, or it might be the very squalid hoard and, you know, everything in between. Mm.
3: That's right. And there's one thing you can't tell by looking, and that is the smell sometimes that emanates from these homes. Um, If it is squalid especially, um, there will be, um, you know, pet dander, pet faeces, pet, um, you know, just... (laughs) the stuff that hangs around things if it's squalid there there won't be um you know active cleaning going on there may be mold which is really dangerous and um yeah so the smell and and often these people don't open their windows they don't let fresh air in so you know with with springtime we usually fling open the windows and we're all glad to have that breath of fresh air come in and we all feel better but year round, in the summer, in the heat of summer, they will have the door closed firmly um, because they're worried about people looking in the windows. Um, They obviously don't invite people in, yeah.
0: What are some of the signs that someone that we love uh, might have a hoarding disorder?
3: Yeah, well... First of all, there's those physical signs like we just described. If if the place is looking really, really cluttered, uh, that might be the cause. Um, if, on the other hand, if you are never invited into the home, you know, if your loved one always wants to meet at the cafe or take you out to lunch and never let you step foot in their front door, that that can be a bit of a red flag. I'm yeah. um, oh, yep. sorry to interrupt. Well, no, go for it. <laughs> yeah. I was
4: going to say, I just that reminded me of a lady I'm working with at the moment, and this isn't the first time this has happened, but her family thought everything was fine with her uh, because she always presented immaculately. She, she always was interested in in engaging in activities outside the home. She would want to meet at cafes and that sort of thing. And so until she went in the hospital and they had to go and get her dog to take it to the kennel, they had no idea that this was a very severe hoarding situation because a lot of times people will present to the world in a very immaculate way, um, but their home is is in squalor. And it's this double life that some people lead that confounds their loved ones and their loved ones and feel quite upset that how didn't I know how, how was she living like this? And I didn't know this same lady. um, She was meeting doctors and, and nurses and stuff on her front veranda. And because she had it set up so beautifully with the garden and bringing a pot of tea out, she hoodwinked them as well. They thought, oh, she just likes to sit out here in the sunshine and meet us to talk about her health and get her bandage changed or whatever out here. So people can really um, put it over the ones around them when they're trying to keep the secret. Mm. And what about the
0: families that don't keep it a secret and they don't see that there's anything wrong with their home and they're inviting their family members in um, and they're expecting their children to come over and are getting quite upset at their children who are choosing not to come into their house because they know that it's potentially a dangerous home to be mm. in.
3: One of the things we
0: do see is a
3: lot of um, breakdown in family relationships because it puts a big strain on um, on on all the family members involved. Um, and, yeah, we have grandparents who aren't allowed to have the grandchildren come into their home and and so you know maybe that grandparent will then compensate by buying more toys and you know hoping that that will make prove that they're actually a good grandparent instead you know so they'll be hoarding these toys in in the hope that one day the child will come to play with them and they never will um it, it's hard. We actually, on our website, we have a tips for starting a conversation um, handout sheet Brilliant. that really, um, it goes through really specific things that you can do um, to, to start a conversation. And it's a difficult conversation. Mm.
4: So, yeah. yeah. I think one of the most important tips that we make on that sheet is to treat the person like a whole person. So if you've got, say, a grandparent who's hoarding and you're very concerned about them Giving an ultimatum, well, you can't have the kids at the house until you clean up. That's probably not going to help. You might think, well, that'll motivate them, but sometimes that just fractures the relationship. Or um, every time you see them talking about, well, your problem, your problem with hoarding, your problem, if you forget that they're a whole person, they still have other good attributes and they can still be a good grandparent. You're concerned about the safety of your child in their home, but that doesn't—that's not doesn't the entirety yeah. of who they are. And so, when people get really focused on, you know, every time I see you, I'm going to talk about your problem. Well, what do you do? You stay away from that person, and the relationships break down, and and everything escalates.
2: So we'll put a link to that um, sheet in yeah. our show notes, so people can go on there and get some tips to yeah, to address that within their
4: own relationships.
0: Mm. Can you describe a few typical situations of what a home of
4: someone with hoarding disorder might look like? Yeah, I, I, a homes with, where people are hoarding can vary quite a lot. At the extreme end, you will see very narrowed pathways through the house because people think, well, that hole's, you know, it's a metre wide. <laughs> I don't need a metre to walk. I can pile stuff up on either side. Um, so you start creating these hazards of getting through the house that the the goat track that we've all heard about. And that that really does exist. Um, you might see wires crisscrossing the floor because I can't get to that PowerPoint in the kitchen anymore. So I'm going to run a cord from the laundry room across the hallway and into the kitchen. So you see all these tripping ha- hazards and inappropriate use of um, cords and appliances or maybe a heater's broken down. So now I'm going to run a cord down the hall to run um, a heater in the bedroom Uh, so you're seeing all those inappropriate uses, rooms that you can barely get into Um, a lot of times people might be sleeping on just the edge of the bed they might have stuff in the bathtub because they say oh I just shower, I don't need the bath or one lady who told me well I don't bake so the oven's a really good place to keep paper (laughs) The oven is not a good place to keep paper. That's not a fire hazard at all. <laughs> so you see those those sort of hazards. Hmm.
3: Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, things that, that break down, you know, um, Wendy mentioned the fridge, but also um, shelves, you know, rickety shelves, um, things that are precariously balanced <laughs> um, yes. and that... that any moment if you touch them the wrong way they will come tumbling down and often sometimes I have found that inside the cupboard is actually empty but everything's out on the floor in front of the cupboard where you can't actually open the door of the cupboard to put something away there it's all these odd little you know it's like idiosyncrasies of each person isn't it exactly
2: One of the questions we often get from listeners and potential clients is um, I have a lot of clutter but I don't know if I'm a hoarder and I know that you ladies don't work with people with hoarding disorder so I don't know if you need to refer me on. They're quite concerned that they think maybe they have a problem but they're not sure. Mm. Is there a way aside from going and seeing like their psychologist or someone, if you've got one room that's your junk room that's really messy and you can't get in there but the rest of the house is functional does that qualify or is it need to be the whole home that's restricted like is there tips that you can
4: I know <laughs> yeah when do you get to wear the badge um no I think it, it you go back to the behavior it, you can ask a person look are you acquiring well beyond what you need and do you find it impossible to stop and do you really struggle to get rid of anything? Like say you have some out of date yogurt in the fridge, would you struggle to get rid of of that sort of thing? Um, you know, are you really not able to use your home in, in the manner that it's intended? And so not just a junk room or a cluttered wardrobe or a cluttered garage, but you know, you the key functions of your home aren't working for you anymore. And in that case, you probably need a higher level of, of help. But um, a lot of people who call me describe themselves as having a hoarding problem and when I visit them they've are more, I would call them chronically disorganized. Uh-huh. So they haven't learned skills to stay organized. Um, or, you know, maybe they've had some big transition in their life, like a divorce or retirement or a baby or something, some big life transition that's thrown their ex- systems that were working into chaos. So Kids it's will not, do that. <laughs> yes, yeah, they will. It's not hoarding at all. It, it's about, um, either re-establishing routines that worked or learning skills and routines that they never never learned. So, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, no, I can't, you know, if you think you're hoarding, I have to stay away. You can always go and have that consultation and try and get to the bottom of what's going on. That's good advice.
2: Thank you. Yeah.
4: Is
0: often hoard, people with hoarding disorder, um, is it often triggered by a trauma? It can be. Um, they're still
3: researching all of this. The research is in relative terms quite new and they're learning more and more, but there is an element of unresolved trauma, unresolved, um, PTSD as well. Um, and yeah, because, you know, as Wendy said, the, just because you grew up in the depression doesn't mean you're a, um, someone who's hoarding, um, you you might be frugal. Lots of people grew up in that environment and didn't turn out to be hoarding. So you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's there's always something that may trigger it, or it could be a learned behaviour as well. You know, it, it does sometimes come um, in family. You know, come down the generations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always
4: anxiety mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. It, and one of the things we see a lot is that it's a progressive disorder. So if you're sort of having hoarding tendencies in your youth and in your twenties and thirties, that's going to be progressive unless you do things to to start um, recognizing your faulty beliefs and the behaviours. and And cognitive behavioural therapy is is really helpful for that. Um, but then if it's if it's cumulative and it's or progressive and it's Not addressed, then um, it only takes some trauma. So, you know, your, your partner who was your checkpoint and the person who kept you okay mentally and emotionally and kept the house physically okay, say they pass away or leave you then all of a sudden the grief and the anxiety and everything associated with that, plus losing this check person, can cause it to escalate quite rapidly. And that's where we see a lot of people out in the cycle.
2: For people that are listening that are having a light bulb moment right now and they're thinking, oh, that's exactly where my mum fits or "That that is exactly where I am and I don't want it to progress, what can they do Like. Is it a matter of getting a professional organizer in, or do they need to go first to get medical help and, and look at a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whoever needs to do that diagnosis, or are there things that can be somewhat preventative? I'm sorry if it's a really ignorant question.
3: <laughs> I don't no, know. No, not at all. No, it's not. Um, what we know is that the more support someone gets, the more successful they're going to be in resolving it. So if they feel comfortable, well, we always say go first to your GP and get a referral to someone who is able to qualify uh, right. to diagnose. And if they're happy to, to do that and start working with a psychologist, you know, that's a great path to take. But alongside that, you can do things like um get a professional organizer in you can um join a support group or you know to to whatever they feel comfortable with we always say um it doesn't matter where they come into into it but that 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 they do and then you know hopefully they will reach out and and take advantage of all the supports that are available to them mm.
4: and um probably a a support to avoid at that point is um driving a skip into their yard, yes, good advice. <laughs> you know, like a heavy handed working bee approach isn't, isn't a good starting place. And what we see is a lot of family members who are very well intentioned, but have very poor execution. Yep. So the more gentle, like, oh, you know, this must be really hard for you right now. And I can see, you know, it's having an effect and, you know, we want you to be safe and happy and well. And so, you know, what can we do to support that is mm. a much better option than uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. you don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we just wanted to
0: take a few seconds to say thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate this podcast community. And on that note, we wanted to get to know you better. Podcasting
2: is a unique platform where you get to know a whole lot about us. We don't really have an easy way of getting to know all of you. So we wanted to know what resonates with you in our podcast. What do you
0: like? What don't you like? So we're offering you a $100 gift voucher for any of our products and services in order to get that feedback. We're running a listener survey right now. And we just wanted you to tell us a little bit more about you.
2: It seriously takes just a couple of minutes. And as we said, you go into the draw to win a $100 gift certificate. Get on it.
0: So head on over to outofdecluttering.com.au slash survey or click on the link in the show notes.
2: We can't wait to get to know you. We want to create content that serves you and meets you where you're at. So give us a few minutes of your life, hop on over and take the survey. Again, visit outofdecluttering.com.au slash survey or visit the link in the show notes Thanks and let's get back to the show.
3: It's really important to know where people are on the readiness for change model. You know sometimes um, people can be just sort of researching their options, they can be you know uh, trying to understand this whole hoarding disorder thing and to someone who's not aware that might look like they're ready. Yay. Let's get in there and start help them declutter. And that kind of approach when, when someone isn't ready to accept that kind of help, um, is, is going to, you know, make them even more defensive and, and try, you know, they will, shut themselves away more. So if you can recognise where someone is on the readiness for change model, whether they're in the contemplation or pre-contemplation.
0: That's what I was about to say. Would you be able to just expand on that readiness for change? Because it's not only helpful for people um, who have hoarding tendencies, um, but I think it's helpful for everybody for mm. any type of change. Oh, that's
3: exactly right. It's not just about hoarding, it's any t- yeah. any kind of change. So there's uh five stages and there there's pre-contemplation which means someone is totally not ready they don't even see it as a problem or they might see it as a problem but feel hopeless so they're not ready to change at all then there's contemplation so they're starting to think about it they're they're considering and if you um if you can't imagine this this these stages with regard to clutter um, think about maybe giving up smoking or going, you know, losing Exercising. weight. Or, yeah, yeah, some yeah. some other yeah. change you want to make in your life, so that you're there. Then the next one is uh, help me out. Contemplation. There's contemplation. contemplation. They're thinking about, about it. it. And preparation. Then the
4: preparation.
3: Preparation. They're they're gathering supplies. They're researching um, who they, you know, they're, they're ringing up organisers. They're to listening see.
4: to podcasts. Yeah, they're <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yes, they
3: are um they're getting themselves ready for the action stage which comes next and the action stage when you hit that sweet spot it is so good and somebody who hoards even when they're in the action stage it's going to be hard they're going to be ambivalent because you know they they want to they want to be able to bake in their kitchen but they don't want to let go of any you know broken mugs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to make space for it and then the final stage, which is always important, is maintenance. So any change in your life, you have to then maintain. You know, you can't just have that action and then go back to to in action <laughs> completely. Yeah.
4: yeah, which we all we've all been there. Yeah, <laughs> with various things that we've taken on. Woo, exercise, yeah. yay! And it's,
3: it's <laughs> also not completely linear. Yeah. You know, you yes. can you yes. can regress, you can jump back and forth between the stages. Um, you know, you can start a diet on Monday, and by Tuesday, <laughs> you're back into <laughs> <pre-contum-> pre-contemplation.
0: <laughs> Keto was too hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me all of it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, We, we yeah. do a lot of work in, in the training that we do um, about um, readiness for change and, and recognising what's appropriate at each of those stages because it doesn't mean you just sit back and do nothing. There are things that you can do to help people even if they're not in the action
4: stage. Mm. And the That's idea great. is to keep pushing them along to the next mm. the next thing so mm. you don't go, oh, no, pre-contemplation, I give up, I'll, I'll come back when they're thinking about it. No, you just, keep, them the you just keep feeding education. feeding things to them to um, to get them to move into the contemplation stage. Mm.
0: So what do you ladies do? I know that we get this phone call ourselves is, oh, I would love to book you in for my mum. Okay. And it's not it's not a person um, who hoards. It's just a person who – or it may be um, – but I can imagine that you get that phone call even more than we do. You get the family members and concerned um, family members ringing you, going, "Oh, you are the perfect person for to help my so and so."
4: Yeah, I say, um, have them give me a call, and I'll have a conversation with Brilliant. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to talk to them. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I've had calls from desperate. Daughters, you know, the and teenage daughters. This Aww. one broke my heart, you know. She was concerned about her younger sister living in the home and I had to, you know, I had to counsel her to say, these are the things you need to look out for and these are the people you can reach out to for help, like her GP and so on. Um, but they do need to be told, you know.
4: Mm. But Yes, the, for the a other, mandatory, the, like
0: for caring for children. Yeah, yeah.
4: Okay. but we also encourage people to take a step back, you know, they, they're ringing us with um, really good intentions and they want to help. So that is a really good opportunity to offer them some education about how the best way to help is. And so we do um, train people about the best way to help their loved one. And we do mentor, I've done mentoring of families who have a, a resisting, a, a treatment refusing person in their family who's hoarding and so I've mentored them on top of them doing our education to help that person stay safe.
2: That's great. What do you do when you're in a situation where you feel like it's it's beyond what you can help with? Like is there a point or do you go all the way through to that trauma cleaning side of things?
3: Well, <laughs> Yeah, you do have to know your own limits. Um, Wendy works with a trauma cleaner often. Do you want to talk about that?
4: Yeah, look, I I think when you go in and assess what's going on, sometimes there is going to be a need for um, trauma cleaning services. So, for example, um, I was called to work with a lady who was going to be evicted because of the condition of her home. She had five cats locked in um, a small apartment. And the kitty litter boxes were overflowing and all of this sort of stuff was going on. Now, it wasn't safe for me to go in and help her, but she did desperately need help. So in that case, part of the arrangement I had to make was having a forensic clean, a biohazard clean before we could work together. And that is a a technique that we teach in our training is we can't all, we don't want to be, you know, heroes and I don't care about the risk to me, I'm going to go in. We have to have different techniques and strategies up our sleeves to help people even when it's not initially safe for us. So if that means I'm going to organize a pack and clean or a clean around or some technique that will then um, remediate the the risks of mould and biohazards and that sort of thing so that I can then go in and start working with the person, then, you know, I'll bring that into play.
2: One of the questions um, that I have for you, for professional organisers like Kirsten and I who do, um, you know, clutter, we do busy families, we do chronically disorganised, what are some questions that we can ask when we've got inquiries to establish whether or not that's suitable or does it really require that, that first meeting and, and actually coming in and asking those questions and being in the environment is there?
3: That's a good question because I have had the experience where someone called me up for help. The, what she described to me over the phone, I really thought I am walking into a heavily hoarded house. When I got there, I looked around at a quite a sparse environment and thought what am I doing here you know where can I add value what it was was her perception of her home was you know and so what she described over the phone wasn't 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 my reality it was obviously hers so what I would say is um you've got to be in the you know you have to look at look at it to figure it out but um we use assessment tools that help us to um, to make that judgment. Um, the Clutter Hoarding Scale from the Institute of for Challenging Disorganisation is very useful for that. Um, it does describe the kinds of um, things that you would see in a hoarded home and even gives advice about what kind of protective equipment to use mm. in those cases. So that one is, is a good one but we... Um, we teach about all the different kinds of assessment tools that you can
4: use in those things. And I think um, asking a client to rate themselves, say you use the clutter image rating scale and you're on the phone and you've sent it to them, say, and you say, well, where do you think you're sitting on this? And they might say, oh, I think I'm a seven out of nine or, or whatever. And when you go there, Maybe they're only a two or three. So what we find is people's perception of their clutter is quite different from the reality. So I would be inclined to have the consultation. Mm. But remember, too, it's not just about the volume of clutter. It's about the behavior. So if you're a professional organizer who works with chronically disorganized people, you might walk into a really, really heavily cluttered or even squalid environment but it's not hoarding maybe the person has a, it's a passive decline issue yes, yes. <laughs> aging mobility cataracts um substance abuse um somebody in the home has a, a terrible disorder that they're trying to deal with yep. so you get this passive decline that you as a professional organizer have the skills to deal with so you shouldn't be scared off by That's the volume a really of the clutter
2: point Wendy I think what the perception is is because I've Kirsty and I've walked into homes that other people would look at mm. and say that's a hoarding situation. Yeah, that's just a lot of stuff because they're actually happy and easy. It's it's a quick process to get rid of it. Mm. And other homes where you walk in and think, I don't, th- this is this is an easy job, and then you realise that there's that resistance. Yeah. and they can't get rid of the yeah. things, and that's impacting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. that's
0: what I was just going to say that there is also the flip which we come across and you lovely ladies clearly do, is when you do walk into the home and and it is the resistance. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this house is fine. What am I doing here? And then you're like, okay, let's do the kitchen. And they're like, no, I have to keep that. 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 And you're like okay, can you tell me a situation where you would need 20 wooden spoons at the one time? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and the client can come up with a million reasons yeah. why they need 20 yeah. spoons yeah. at the one time. Sure. Yeah. And so we know as professional organisers and other people know that they don't need the 20 spoons, but they cannot see that they need That's, the 20 spoons. It's
4: one, everybody always asks me if their home is the worst I've ever seen. Oh, yes. And I say... I don't even care if your home is the worst I've ever seen. I've never seen an environment. I've never seen a home that scared me. I've only had people who've scared me. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> I can I can tackle any home. So true. It's just some of the people that I cannot connect and engage with it and get them to that point. Yeah. So that, that's going to be a lot more about the person's willingness to engage than the actual Completely state of the agree home.
2: With that. What a great way to say it.
4: <laughs> so
0: what do you do? Um, When you ladies go into a home and they do regress on that change, like change model, and they've you've done all the assessment and you're like, Yes, this person is absolutely ready for action, and you are used to that resistance, Mm -hmm. and then and so you're well-equipped and and you know exactly how, you know, you've got a huge toolkit of the things to say to get them to um, start letting go of things and then they slide down that scale.
3: Mm. Well, first of all, the the number one thing we would start on is always safety. So mm. let's assume we've made them safe um, and now we're starting to work on the decluttering of their the other excess stuff. Um so we use, we know that with with someone who's hoarding, they don't respond well to the logical, linear, keep it... Tell me you why know.
0: you could use 15 spoons. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: and, um, you know, if you haven't used it in a year, get yes, it, that yes, kind of yes. advice. It just doesn't make logical... Yeah. They, their brains don't work like that. Yeah. But they do respond well sometimes to emotional techniques. Um, so... Have you ever found somebody who thinks of their stuff as having feelings, yes. actual feelings? Yeah,
2: personified yeah. yes. objects. Yeah.
3: it it is not uncommon, yeah. and so you can't reject that thing. You know, It'll how could hurt. I possibly reject that thing? So you you rather than telling them that emotional thinking doesn't work doesn't make sense.
0: You it work has with it. no emotions. It's yeah. a piece yeah. of
3: you, you work with dust. It. It's a workaround. You you. Go okay. They think that thing has feelings. Let's use that. So, um, Wendy, do you want to tell the story about the jeans?
4: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I was working with a lady, and she we had decluttered her home. Oh, not. Not hugely decluttered her home, but enough to keep her safe. And then she told me that she had this storage unit she needed to get sorted out because it was costing her too much money and it was freezing. It was in an old meat packing warehouse and it was freezing. And we were in there going through stuff and she was like, no, no, I can't get rid of that. No, I can't get rid of that. And I was just like freezing and really over the whole thing. And she held up a pair of jeans, which clearly weren't going to fit her anymore. And I said, oh, surely you can get rid of the jeans. And she said, but... But would I hurt their feelings if I got rid of them? And I said, well, if I was those jeans, I'd be very happy to be out of here. (laughs) 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 Which is true. You've lost them up. (laughs) Those jeans
0: need warmth. They They need to go to Queensland. They and the jeans
4: (laughs) need to leave. And she said, you think they'd be happier somewhere else? I was so genuine. And I said, yes. Yes and and that was all she needed. Oh, was beautiful. the idea that these things would be happier someplace else to start the process of letting go and then all of a sudden things just started Everything to flow. Shedded. Yeah. 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 Oh. That's beautiful.
0: I think human beings are so fascinating. Like yes. that it, it just takes that flicking of that switch yeah. and she's all of a sudden got freedom and yeah. permission and given herself permission to let things exactly. go like right, exactly. but then you can try the same technique on the next client and, and
4: yeah, exactly. those jeans don't care yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> they like
4: this I, freezing I, meat from i just want else? them because i'm gonna cut them up and make a denim quilt you know <laughs> yes. Yes. Or one day
0: i will fit into them again yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah one of the things that
2: i've um been really interested in when i've worked with clients that have not necessarily been diagnosed but do struggle with hoarding Tendencies is they have a very high level of social responsibility yes um is that common yes. where that's yes. I, I i need to dispose of this thoughtfully environmentally and I, I don't even necessarily trust that when i do donate it that they are going to do the right thing so or
0: the recycling plant are not going right. to do there's, the right thing there's a
2: lot of that really heavy responsibility which yes. is beautiful but, but it, it can be restricted. But misplaced
4: responsibility. I think it's um, very typical in hoarding for beliefs, whether they're about responsibility to the environment or frugality or all sorts of things, to be disproportionately held. Now, it would be wonderful for everyone to be more concerned about the environment and everyone to be more frugal. But in the case of hoarding, these are very disproportionately held to what is reasonable. And so it's working... Usually, for professional organizers, it's working around those faulty beliefs and finding workarounds because our job as professional organizers doesn't extend to changing people's beliefs. That's the work of a mental health professional or possibly a coach, um, but it's not our work is really skills based. So, we need to find the workarounds in these things because if we're going to Logically challenge people on this front, we're going to hit a lot of resistance, and it, it, we're really out of our depth as well. Mm. So, yeah. do you ladies work in
0: conjunction, like close conjunction, with mental health professionals?
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, I um, tend to refer clients to Dr. Chris Morgan, and I've had a close working relationship with him over the years, and he's very respected here in Melbourne. Oh, yes. There's not enough mental health professionals who specialize in hoarding, but you know we'd like to see that changing with the changes to the the DSM having hoarding included mm-hmm. now. But that's a slow process. When did that get included? Sorry, a couple for... of years ago now. 2013, I yeah. think. Yeah. Or... Was it, oh, was it a couple of years. Ago? Time yeah, flies really for me. Because yes. <laughs> it used to be a subset of OCD. Of OCDD. That's right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Yes, and and before the change there was a lot of talk about it. It didn't mm. happen overnight. You know, there was a lot of back and forth discussion and I remember um, we were even involved in that via the Institute for Challenging Disorganisation, you know, the, the the relationships we had there. So... Um, I'm not claiming that we made the change.
4: <laughs> Thank you,
3: Angela, <laughs> for all your work. Thank you, Wendy, but for I making it all happen. Very, that very that, very that <laughs> even though it was in the dsm four under yeah. OCD, it was long recognised that that wasn't actually the It case. wasn't appropriately yeah. placed. Yeah. yeah.
2: So if people who are listening want some more information, how do they find you
3: guys? Well, we have a website. It's hoardinghomesolutions.com.au and they can go there. There's a a resources page with free resources available, um, including I wanted to mention the fire risk reduction checklist. Great. Um, That is something that if you suspect or even if it's just a heavily cluttered house and not hoarding, Mm -hmm. um, that's a really good way of making it safe. Great. Great. yeah. So come along to the website. We have, um, if they're inclined to learn more about how to help somebody who hoards, uh, we have three different course online courses that we um, have available. One is for the loved ones, the family and friends of people hoarding. One is for professional organisers and, and people who also run their own business. And the other is for mental health professionals and support workers and so on. Um, there's a lot of good reading on
4: there and I hope they take their time and have a have a good explore. Yeah, we've got some really great blogs and even Dr. Chris Morgan has done some video blogs for us explaining different techniques, the group technique and different techniques that anyone can just pick up and and learn a lot from. So I think there's some good things. And also we have a find a provider page where you oh, can yes. find um, either professional organisers, NDIS registered providers, trauma cleaners, mental health professionals, that sort of thing as well. So we kind of realised – I used to get so many calls from – Uh, particularly case managers saying is there somebody in my area and I would then do the ring around and all of that now I say just go to the page and click on click on the face that suits you and so that's au.
0: we'll put a link in the show notes so you can always head over there ladies
4: thank you so much I feel like we could
2: talk to you for the rest of the day i know i feel like we've just scratched the surface (laughs) but thank you for your time thank you for your wisdom we really appreciate it
0: and thank you for everything that you do for the people that you work with um and the families that you care for in that process as well so thank
2: thank you you for having us pleasure we'll see you all next week bye bye